You heard the one about the woman in the water tank? It sounds like a horrific urban legend or a horror story, but it's tragically, heartbreakingly true. On the morning of February 19th, 2013, a young woman's naked body was found floating in the rooftop water tank of an old hotel on Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. Her room key, watch, and clothes floated nearby. For nearly three weeks, the body had bloated and decomposed in total darkness, sealed from the sunlight by a large hatch at the top of the tank. The woman was a 22-year-old Canadian named Elisa Lamb. The last time she had been seen alive was on February 1st, caught by a security camera at the old hotel, darting in and out of a malfunctioning elevator, seemingly frightened, looking for someone, seeing something that the camera's lens never captured. Because this happened in the age of YouTube, the footage went viral. To this day, this woman's final known moments live on as a sort of digital ghost, trapped in that elevator forever. The mystery surrounding Elisa's demise made international news. How had a young woman, a college student, ended up dead in a hard-to-access Skid Row water tank with no visible injuries on her body? And what had she seen in that elevator? Local experts in L.A. lore were convinced that it was one of the demons of the building where she had been found. To them, Elisa was just another lost soul, claimed by the psycho spirit of the Hotel Cecil. I'm Hadley Mears, and this is Underbelly L.A. It was the 1920s, and downtown Los Angeles was booming. Cutting-edge, skyscraping apartments, hotels, banks, and department stores. They were shining proof that L.A. was now an important international metropolis, no longer just a Wild West town filled with striving desperados. No area of downtown Los Angeles was more fashionable than the 600 block of Main Street, where developer W.B. Hanner began building his own high-class hotel in 1924. He named it the Hotel Cecil, no doubt copying the famed Hotel Cecil in London. When it opened in December, the Los Angeles Times extolled its numerous virtues. The Hotel Cecil, with its 700 rooms, is the first large hostelry here to be furnished throughout with Los Angeles-made furniture. It is of the very choicest and most luxurious design. Otherwise, it would not be used in the furnishings of a hotel of the high class that the Cecil will be. The Cecil quickly became a popular hotel, its clientele a mix of visiting middle-class tourists and Angelinos who called the conveniently located building home. But with the stock market crash of 1929, a depression settled over the Cecil that would never leave. The surrounding neighborhoods slowly fell into disarray, and the Cecil increasingly became a hostel for the shady and the sick, and folks simply down on their luck, with few housing options. 
There was the tale of a Cecil resident, George Ford, a successful morphine and opium dealer with a stash of drugs worth $10,000, who was arrested in a sting at the nearby Astor Hotel. An elderly man was picked up at the Cecil in peril of death after drinking poisoned liquor that had killed three other men. And then the successful suicides began. The Los Angeles Times reported, W.K. Norton, 46 years of age, was found dead in a hotel room at 640 South Main Street yesterday morning. A number of capsules, believed to have contained poison, were given by police as evidence that Norton had ended his own life. The capsules, police said, were found in his vest pocket. Norton had been dead apparently only a few hours when found by a maid. He registered at the hotel, according to police, last Saturday as James Willis of Chicago. This would be the first in an astonishing number of suicides and disturbing violence, which would plague the Cecil for the next nine decades. The following year, a 25-year-old man shot himself in his hotel room. Shortly after Norton's suicide, a young truck driver was fatally pinned against the hotel by a large truck. In 1934, according to the LA Times, another lonely man took his own life. His throat slashed. Louis D. Borden, 53 years of age, former sergeant in the Army Medical Corps, was found dead in a hotel room. Investigating officers, finding a razor by the body and farewell notes, reported Borden ended his own life because of ill health. In one brief note, he asked that Mrs. Edna Hazenor of P.O. Box 664 Edmonds, Washington, sole beneficiary of the little that I leave, be notified. The sad drumbeat of suicide and petty violence continued. An elderly Cecil resident attempted to shoot himself in Westlake Park, and an old female tenant was found drowned in the ocean. A teenage stick-up bandit was arrested at the Cecil. A note was found in his pocket that read, You are covered. Open that cash register and shell out. No tricks or else. A woman named Dorothy January claimed that a man had answered her advert seeking a childcare position, only to choke her and steal $40 from her purse. wasn't all doom and gloom. Throughout the 1930s, the Cecil catered to a mixed clientele, not all of the tragic variety. A visiting Hungarian couple on a trip around the world stayed at the Cecil. Ever since we left our native country, we have been in search of a properly prepared dish of goulash and cabbage as we travel about, gathering materials for books and furthering international relations with Hungary, they told the Los Angeles Times cheerfully. Jacob Horner, an ancient former cavalry man with General Custer, spent half a year renting a room at the Cecil, where he gave an interview bemoaning the current state of the world. In my time fighting, men went out and met one another and battled it out, he exclaimed. That was war. But nowadays, the way they slaughter women and children, we old fighters can't call that war. 
It's murderous slaughter. That is technically still a form of doom and gloom, yes. But considering it's the Cecil we're discussing, that's about as good as the news can get. Goulash and bemoaning the state of the world. The suicides continued. In 1937, the Los Angeles Times reported on the death of 25-year-old Grace E. Margot. Police were unable to determine whether the woman had fallen or jumped from the hotel room. Telephone wires, ripped from poles in her descent, were entangled about her body. The officer stated that M.W. Madison, a 26-year-old sailor of the USS Virginia, who was the woman's companion, was sleeping at the time of the occurrence and could give no explanation for the woman's action. A year later, a fireman named Roy Thompson, who had been staying at the Cecil for several weeks, was found dead in the skylight of the building next door after apparently jumping from his own hotel room. In 1940, the first regular Los Angeles Alcoholics Anonymous meetings began to be held at the Cecil Hotel. A cafe manager who lived at the Cecil died in a nearby bar called the Waldorf Cellar after a gun battle with a bartender who happened to be his childhood best friend. Due to the easy anonymity of the Cecil, Sex workers and cheating couples also increasingly used the Cecil as a spot of assignation. Even a change of management in 1941, which included extensive improvements, could not save the Cecil from its dark future. Post-World War II, residents with means and successful businesses drained out of downtown. In 1947, Elizabeth Short, otherwise known as the Black Dahlia, was allegedly seen at the Cecil Bar shortly before she was murdered. But this seems not to have been based in fact, but rather the Cecil's deadly reputation. The area around the Cecil, filled with single-occupancy hotels and cheap watering holes, continued its inevitable decline into a last resort for lost, desperate people. People like Helen C. Gurney. According to the LA Times, a woman plunged to her death from a seventh-floor window of a downtown hotel yesterday afternoon, her body landing atop the hotel marquee above the heads of pedestrians on busy Main Street. Police identified her from cards in her purse as Mrs. Helen C. Gurney, about 55, an employee of a San Diego stationery firm. Officials at the Hotel Cecil said she had registered as Margaret Brown of Denver when she checked into room 704 a week ago. Hundreds of spectators gathered as firemen and ambulance attendants put a ladder up to the marquee and lowered the body. Shortly afterward, police were called to the lobby of the Philharmonic Auditorium to aid a man who seemed to be hysterical, and they said he told them he had been unnerved by witnessing the woman's death. This endless litany of tragic tales led long-term residents at the Cecil to nickname their home the Suicide. In 1962, the most infamous suicide occurred. The LA Times reported, A young woman plummeted to her death from the ninth floor of a Main Street hotel Friday night, killing an elderly man strolling on the sidewalk below. Mrs. Pauline Otten, 27, had been discussing marital problems with her estranged husband, Dewey, 32, in the Hotel Cecil. Officers said she leaped or fell from the room when her husband went out to dinner. At first... Police thought Mrs. Otten and George Giannini, 65, might have leaped out of the window together, but they found that the man had his hands in his pockets and his shoes still on. If he had fallen nine stories, the impact would have knocked his shoes off. That same year, 
Julia Frances Moore, 50, leapt from the eighth floor, her body landing on the second floor rail. Amazingly, this was not the end of it. The horror at the Hotel Cecil was only just beginning. Perhaps the saddest death to occur at the Cecil was that of Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator who frequently fed the pigeons in nearby Pershing Square. In 1964, Osgood was raped, stabbed, and strangled in her room at the Cecil. Her body fell next to the Dodgers baseball cap she always wore and a paper bag of feed. One of her friends, a retired nurse named Jean, talked to her a reporter in Pershing Square while watering a bouquet of fast-wilting flowers. We were all her friends, all of us here in the square, she said. I was just standing here this morning, thinking about what happened, when somebody suggested we get some flowers. No one has very much money around here. But all of a sudden, everyone started giving me what they could give, and I got these. We just wanted her to know we remembered. Osgood's tragic murder was never solved. By the 70s and 80s, Skid Row, as the notorious neighborhood surrounding the Cecil was now known, was plagued by increasing violence and a huge influx of illegal drugs. Richard Ramirez, the infamous Night Stalker, terrorized Los Angeles in the mid-1980s. Ramirez was a visible presence on Skid Row in the months before his arrest. For a time, Ramirez lived at the Cecil, where rooms were as cheap as $14 a night. Shortly after his arrest in 1985, the LA Times interviewed those who had known Ramirez on Skid Row. Raul Enriquez, a hotel night clerk at the Cecil, said a man he is certain was Ramirez lived in a 14th floor room for several weeks in late July and August and for another two weeks in late August. Enriquez, 36, who lived in a room on the same floor, said he had a few brief conversations with Ramirez and said Ramirez told him he was from Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. He said the men did not know each other by name. He said Ramirez liked to play rock and roll music on his hotel room radio, and judging from the odors Enriquez could smell, was smoking marijuana. Ramirez wasn't the only murderer who would call the Cecil home. In 1988, a man named Robert Sullivan, accused of killing his girlfriend in Huntington Beach, was arrested at the Cecil. Then there's the globe-trotting Austrian serial killer, Jack Unterweger, who supposedly stayed at the Cecil in 1991. In his native Austria, Unterweger had been convicted of strangling a woman with her own bra, and in 1976 he was sentenced to life in prison. However, being a handsome, charming man, as well as a talented writer and poet, Unterweger earned the support of those who considered him a prime example of prison rehabilitation. He was released early, and became a journalist covering crime for various outlets. When Unterweger came to Los Angeles to cover sex work in the city, he stayed at the Cecil, an odd choice for a celebrated journalist of means. He was welcomed by the LAPD, who let him ride along with them on Skid Row. A year later, 
it was discovered that Unterweger had been brutally sexually assaulting and murdering women almost everywhere he traveled, including three women in Los Angeles, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth. Before he died by suicide in a prison cell in Austria in 1994, it became clear why he had so wanted to stay at the Cecil. His hero was Richard Ramirez. By the mid-2000s, parts of downtown Los Angeles were becoming increasingly gentrified. In 2007, a group led by Fred Cordova bought the Cecil for $26 million. They began to transform part of the Cecil into, quote, the Stay on Main, a budget boutique hotel for hip, middle-class tourists. As a result of this attempted rebranding, many of the poor long-term residents were pushed out. No matter how hard the decorators tried, a visit to the Stay on Main still sent chills down the spine. The lobby was gilded but faded, like an old train station that had seen better days. A ghostly cafe was permanently closed, and the entertainment lounge was little more than a dark cavern with a big-screen TV that nobody seemed to ever watch. Near the front desk, European tourists would hunch over their computers, surfing the internet, their rolling suitcases at their feet. The weirdness continued. In 2010, city firefighter and that year's paramedic of the year, Charles Anthony McDougall, claimed he had been stabbed several times on an emergency call to the hotel while his partner waited outside in an ambulance. However, McDougall's story did not seem to check out, and the case was filed as a false report, although McDougall was not charged with any crime. But it was the disappearance and death of Elisa Lamb which would cement the Cecil's ghastly legend, introducing it to a new generation of internet mythmakers. Elisa had simply come to visit L.A. while taking some time off school, probably lured by the stay on Main's misleading site, promising an adorable, affordable hotel in the heart of Los Angeles. Five days before her body was found, the LAPD had released the infamous elevator tape in an effort to find Elisa, and the internet was soon abuzz with theories. She had tapped into the portal to hell under the hotel. She had a mental breakdown. She had been running from the ghost of the devil himself. Or maybe a close second. Richard Ramirez. Although police searched the hotel, it was not until a guest at the stay on Main began to notice a change in water pressure and a funny taste in the water coming out of the spigot that the water tank on the roof was opened. And there she was. Another mystery revealed. The police and the coroner's office claimed that the death was accidental, the unintended result of Elisa's diagnosed bipolar disorder. But many questions remain. How did Elisa get to the roof? How did she shut herself into the tank? Who updated her Tumblr account after her death? Where was her phone? What if she was murdered? What if that thing she was hiding from in the elevator was not a ghost? but a flesh-and-blood human 
who knew the layout of the Cecil like the back of their hand. What if it was a ghost who had lured her to the roof? But police consider the case closed. Her family filed a wrongful death suit against the Cecil, but it was dismissed in 2015. But Elisa's case and the legend of the Cecil lives on in popular culture. The fifth season of American Horror Story, Hotel, was based on the Cecil's scandalous stories. Shows such as Castle and How to Get Away with Murder ran episodes inspired by Elisa's case. A Hong Kong film features a scene that looks very similar to the infamous Hotel Cecil elevator sequence, and multiple artists have written songs inspired by and in tribute to Elisa's life. And what of the Cecil itself? In 2016, Curb Dale reported that the hotel had been sold to developer Richard Bourne for $30 million. Bourne claimed he would transform it into a reasonably priced residence catering to young professionals. As the area near it was rapidly gentrifying, perhaps this didn't seem like such an impossible dream. In 2017, the Cecil was declared a historic landmark. The building was leased to Simon Barron Development, and it was announced that they would turn the building into a boutique hotel and micro-apartment complex. But two years later, the Cecil is dilapidated and deserted as ever. The doors are locked, the rooms, many of their windows broken, or covered in cardboard, look abandoned and unlived in. Every now and then, you can see a person walking in, and if you stand on the sidewalk outside long enough, a passerby might just warn you, what are you doing? That place is haunted. So welcome to the Hotel Cecil, where only shadows, both the living and the dead, are brave enough to dwell. I'm Hadley Mears, and you can follow me on Twitter at H-A-D-L-E-Y-M-E-A-R-E-S. You can follow Underbelly LA at Underbelly LA. We're also on Facebook. Just search Underbelly LA. Listen to all future episodes of this podcast by going to underbellyla.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you'd normally find a podcast. Every episode of this show is researched, written, and read by me, Hadley Mears. This episode is based on a story I wrote for KCET. Check it out. The show is produced by Drew Mackey and edited by Mika Grimm. Underbelly LA is a Table Cakes podcast. Table Cakes is a Los Angeles-based, woman-owned podcast company. And if you want to learn about other shows on this network, go to tablecakes.com. If you want to support Underbelly LA, check out our digital tip jar at patreon.com slash underbellyla. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Underbelly LA. Join us next week when we uncover the curious case of the lipstick murder. A Table Cakes production. <laughs>